You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's move on to these younger players that they ended up moving on from. The biggest name of them all is probably KJ. I'm not going to say probably. The biggest name of them all is KJ Mark. He's the, yeah. The, the, let, let me reframe it. The best player that was traded was KJ Martin. The other three were first round picks. Is that is that is that accurate? Is that right? Add yeah. late first round picks to that sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Fair that, that's, that's the that's the big kind of dividers well, that they were well, late well, first round picks. I was going to get to that before I got to that. I just I put it that way because KJ was a second round pick in and of himself. So like KJ Martin, the best player of them all, the because re- I mean the the same is true about second round picks, right? And even more so, it's the hit rate, the likelihood of them being what KJ Martin turned out to be. So you got KJ Martin, Usman Garuba, Josh Christopher, and Ty Ty Washington. Uh, the 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 first round picks that we mentioned Garuba Christopher and Washington obviously first round late first round picks of the last two years or last two seasons and then KJ Martin a second round pick I guess now three years ago this is going into year four for him right yes uh, so so these are young players um I, I think that what's funny and what stands out to me whenever I watch the reaction is how emotionally attached that fans get to players even when they're on teams that are going nowhere like even when they're on teams that are headed absolutely nowhere and these players quite honestly are not guys that you should really have that much of an emotional attachment to at least not to them being on your team if you want to root for them that's fine obviously whatever but Ty Ty Washington Usman Garuba Josh Christopher even KJ Martin to an extent those guys being on your team is not like, you know, make or break sadness type of stuff. But KJ Martin, a useful player, we've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Uh, we did the redraft several months ago of where he would go, and he'd probably be a lottery pick in his draft. Um, l- let me get your reaction, man, to, to first of all, to all of these guys being, being shipped away. I think we knew, my whole thing is, I think we knew that there were certain players that were going to have to go and be replaced that they were going to have to make room on this roster for players that could help them win. And certain players that simply do not help them win. We're going to have to go either be traded or waived or whatever it was. We saw with Dacia Nix, they just let him go. And then these other guys, they, they traded. What did you, what did you think of these moves? Um, The Martin one I was surprised with just because they didn't get very much, you know, they only got a second round pick and, now, that was one of the things that I talked about with, with somebody in their front office before the trade deadline is that they weren't going to just trade him to trade him. And if, you know, people thought that they could get him for just a second round pick, they weren't going to hang, they were, they were just going to hang up the phone on that. So the fact that they just moved him for just two second rounders, that to me was surprising, but I guess there just wasn't a market. I, I feel like there probably would have been a market for him um, once the season started, 
But I also, at the same time, you look at who they've added, there probably just weren't going to be a whole lot of minutes there. And once you add Brooks, when you already have Eason and Smith, who are probably bigger priority guys at this point, there just weren't going to be minutes for KJ Martin. So, you know, you kind of have to move on from him at that point. Uh, so that that move surprised me. But at the same time, when you kind of look at the at the outlay of the team, it made sense. And it's hard for me to think that his value would have increased once the season started, especially when you consider where he seemed to be just on the totem pole. Um, Ty Ty Washington surprised me a little bit that they just kind of cut the cord after one year, but we, we talked about this a lot during the season. He had significant holes in his game and it's pretty clear. They didn't think that those holes were going to get fixed or could be fixed or that there just simply were going to be minutes for him. So, um, you know, they, they moved on it and it, it, it kind of shows you, um, man, those late first round picks really aren't worth very much. And um, they're 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 worth a lot in theory. People love having them, but at the end of the day, when you pick 29th, it's not a great pick. Um, and, and so I think that's what you kind of see uh, with Ty Ty Washington, where you just you know it's just you're, you're not going to get a lot unless you get lucky. You're not going to get much um, out, out of that pick. Um, and then the other two, uh, the other two were not a surprise at all. Um, yeah. Uh, just didn't do enough. And, you know, he didn't have much of an opportunity as a rookie. Part of that was just the injuries. And he did some things well this past season when he did finally get a chance. But at the same time, undersized center, um, he could switch, but he just wasn't going to necessarily be able to hold up defensively against bigger guys. And then offensively, he was just a huge minus. You know, he started to make some threes, but it was not like, a shot that you really had faith that was going in. If it, he was wide open. I mean, he was wide open every time he took that shot. And when it went in, it was a surprise. Like it never looked great whenever he took it. So I don't think anybody thought that he would be like a high volume three point shooter who would shoot him at a high percentage. You know, it, it always seemed a little bit fluky. So that one wasn't a surprise. I just, you know, we were, Adam, we were patronizing whenever he would hit the threes. We were like, look at him, look at him hit the threes. I mean, from the form, from the fact that he was wide open. I mean, we were, we were having fun with it in a season where there wasn't a lot of fun to be had because they were struggling so much. It was like Usman Garuba. I mean, you remember that stretch where he hit like his first. It was like seven of eight at one point. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were I, think I, I even joked as high as like uh, understanding that, you know, you know, whatever 84% is probably not sustainable, but you know, it, that was just, it, it was one of those things that he, he worked hard to, you know, get to the point to where he could make that shot, but nobody respect, nobody was worried about him shooting that shot. If you're, if you were an opposing team and again, just didn't have the size and he was, you know, he was bad the second half. Like he showed you some things in the first half. And then once you got to the second half, he was almost unplayable for a lot of it. So again, it wasn't a surprise. And then the same thing with Josh Christopher. And I, I think Josh Christopher is one of the guys, at least, you know, from an online standpoint where the fans really fell in love with him. Uh, and he did do some things his rookie year and he, but the fact that, and I remember I wrote about this, or I don't know if I wrote about it, but I mentioned it just during the first preseason game. He was like the 13th guy to come off the bench in that first preseason game against San Antonio, or, you know, he was the eighth guy or whatever to come off them. He was the the 13th player who checked into that first preseason game. And that's when you kind of realize, eh, there's just not a lot there. And, yeah. and I know that there were some highlight plays as a rookie, but you remember watching him in summer league, 
where he kind of ran the offense and it just wasn't very good. And so all the holes that he had in his game, he just did not improve on the, on any of those, you know, he's, he's kind of the size of a point guard, but he couldn't play point guard. So you could basically only play him at the two and he couldn't shoot. Like the shooting got worse over the course of the season. And, you know, you look at just what he did in his second year, you know, he, he only played in 22 of their first 40 games. Okay. So he didn't get much of an opportunity. Uh, you know, he went down to the G league a couple of times, but he played in their final 42 games of the year. And it's not like he was playing eight minutes. He was playing 15 minutes a game, which again, you know, that's a, that's a good number of minutes. And, you know, we're looking at seven points on six and a half shots, you know, 25% from three. He didn't get to the line. He wasn't really much of a playmaker. And then defensively he would get lost too often. And so I, I think that he he was a disappointment. And so it was hard to think that he was going to get much better uh, from that point on. So, you know, he, if he can, you know, clean up the shooting, clean up the ball handling, become a better decision maker, then yeah, he, he has an opportunity to stick in the league, but they're just, there were no minutes for that on this team. Now, you know, they, they aren't at the point to where they can, you know, they could have kept him, but he wasn't going to play. So at least he gets an opportunity to maybe get some minutes in, in Memphis or wherever he winds up when all these, when all these moves are, are finally finalized. Uh, but it just wasn't going to happen here. So um, the Washington one was a little bit surprising because, you know, they kind of jettisoned after one year. Um, the KJ one was was surprising just because the return wasn't real real strong. But Garuba and Christopher, I think we both kind of expected that it was unlikely that they would be on the team at least once training camp broke. Um, so, you know, it's just that's business. And, you know, never get too attached to the low first round picks because at the end of the day, um, they're probably not going to be very good NBA players. That's just what history tells you. Yeah, I think you put it well with Garuba and Washington, uh, or I'm sorry, Garuba and Christopher not being guys that can really give you a lot of minutes on a winning team. You know, I, I I think it was fine to see what they had. Like the drafting them in and of itself wasn't like in and of itself wasn't a failure. Those guys just did not turn out to work out, you know, and kind of going back to the point of what you're getting once you're picking that late in the first round. Uh, so Garuba just not quite good enough. Christopher, interestingly to me, just a tweener who wasn't good enough at either one thing. You know, like you mentioned, the size of a point guard, but not really a playmaker. The game of a two guard, but just not that dynamic of a score, not dynamic enough of a score to be an undersized two guard. So he's just kind of just stuck in between there, un unsure really of what to expect of him or what where to put him, how, how to how to slide like you got to put him in there with a point guard. And so both guys are undersized. And then, like you mentioned, he's not really playing, giving you like plus super high level defense. So it's just one of those tweeners that's not quite dynamic enough to be a tweener. If you're going to be a tweener, you got to be like dynamic at something, you know, either it's your shooting or your passing or your defense or something's got to pop. And with Josh Christopher, it was just like, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, he's, he can clearly can play basketball, but not just, not at a high enough level, it felt like. The K.J. Martin thing, to me, is interesting just because, like, so I've, I've given my points on Dylan Brooks. <laughs> I got this little conflict of I would rather watch K.J. Martin play basketball. 
I I am a bigger fan of KJ Martin, the basketball player, the athleticism, his hustle. I thought he gave you everything he had. Um, and, and and at times, at least last year, I think he improved. We talked uh, again about basketball intelligence. I think he's improved over time as well. And so I really liked and was a fan of his game, uh, a fan of watching him play basketball. And even with that, I got to concede that Dylan Brooks overall offers you more just because the defense is elite. You know, with, with KJ, the only thing that you'd probably say was elite about his game is the athleticism. Everything else was just really good, solid, you know, or 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 coming together. Not Maybe not everything, but a lot of it was starting to come together and was kind of solid. There was not an elite thing that KJ really did other than the athleticism. Dylan Brooks brings you elite defense, and I'm conflicted in that because I'd much rather see KJ play. I'd much rather see his game. And I think I think Tari Eason's got some potential to be Dylan Brooks light, you know, um, but obviously he's just going into his second season. So they have players there that, and KJ's one of them, that I felt like I was more comfortable with or I should say wanted to watch more in that spot than Dylan Brooks, even if I got to concede that Dylan Brooks is the better player. So uh, I'm surprised too, given that, you know, they didn't have to trade KJ. They didn't have, it's not like they were against the the gun or against the clock. I know you mentioned that there may, there may not have been a, uh, a lot of minutes for him, but I, I don't see why not given that he could play so many positions. There should have been, I feel like there should have been some minutes for him between the three, four and five, and he can play any of them that that's somebody that they could have fit in there, but maybe they're just ready to move on, you know? Um, and, and that's that, you know, that, that's that, but the the return is a little bit surprising given that we both think that he's the quality of a lottery pick in his own draft. Um, I don't, I don't think, I think the, the idea of him playing center, I don't think that was there. You know, he's, it's only six, six. And, I think it's hard to play center at six, six, you know, I think that organizationally they have kind of given that a try. So I don't think that was really much of a possibility. And are you playing him over Shingun? Are you playing him over Landell? Probably not. So then you look, are you giving um, KJ Martin minutes over Tari Eason? Probably not. Are you giving him minutes over Jabari Smith? Probably not. So that's why I can just kind of say that the minutes, especially when you add Brooks to the mix, and we've talked about possibly Porter playing playing uh, along the wing now, uh, and then you add Whitmore. Who knows what's going to happen with him? So it just didn't. So just you have that minutes crunch, and you know you can only play you know two hundred. You only have two hundred and forty minutes a game to divide out between your guys, and you know at some point you run short. You know you can't play everybody twenty minutes a game. So I just don't think that there were going. So I just don't think the minutes would have been there which would have led to him being unhappy, especially in a contract year. Uh, and then his value would have gone down. And I think it just would have put a cloud over everything. So while you don't get the value that I think that you should have gotten for him, it's understandable why they just went ahead and got that deal done. Now uh, it's one of those things that just might benefit them a little bit more in the long run, both with the players, both with players around the league and also with the agent. I mean, you, you can't kind of underestimate how much, that sort of stuff matters by keeping an agent happy because that might, you know, help you get another player in, in the future. So um, sometimes you have to take a little bit less just because of what it might mean moving forward. So you and I have talked about how these young players need to start playing meaningful basketball, yes. meaningful minutes, meaningful games. 
So the question I have to you, I'm still sorting it out in my head, but the question I have to you is how meaningful of games will this team be playing? Is this a play-in tournament team? I know we agree that they have improved, that they have gotten themselves better, but how much better? How much better can we, without without having seen it, without really knowing how it's all going to come together, without knowing if they're done, you know, and, and what, what else they might do throughout this offseason, just as currently constructed as you and I sit here now, what do we think about this team and how it stacks up against its competitors in the West? So they're better. I don't think there's any question about that. How much better? I, I don't know. I, I really, I've been thinking about that because while I sit here and tell you that they're better, I can look at basically everybody in the West and say something similar. Um, and that's, you know, when we talk about the play-in and can they get into the play-in mix, that means that they're having to jump over some of these teams. So I'm just going to go through the standings in the West, just going backwards. And you tell me, do you feel like they are better than any of these teams? San Antonio, are they better than San Antonio? They might be just because it's not like, obviously the Spurs added Wimbenyama. Did I say it right this time? I don't know. So they, they added I, I, I think it was close enough. I yes. think it was close. We'll, we'll, we'll give you the thumbs up. They added the top pick in the draft, but they really haven't added anybody else outside of him. And that roster wasn't very good last year. So I'm going to go ahead and say that right now they are better than the Spurs. Okay. So that's one. So, you know, they, yeah. they, need, to, they need to get it to 10th. They've, they've, they've taken out one team. Portland looks like they're going to trade Damian Lillard. So you can probably sit here and say, yeah, you know what? The Rockets are better than the Blazers. Okay. That gets them to 13th. All right. Utah. That's where it gets tricky. Yeah. And the answer is no, they are not better than Utah. Yeah. Uh, Dallas. Are they nope. better than Dallas? No. Nope. No. Are they better than New Orleans? No. Are they better than Oklahoma City? I don't think so. Are they better than Minnesota? I don't believe in Minnesota, but no. Are no. they better than Lakers? Absolutely not. Golden State. Yeah, once once we go from you know start talking about the Warriors, Clippers, Suns, Kings, Grizzlies, Kings, Grizzlies. yeah, no, the the answer is no. So right now, right now, it, at least it doesn't feel like it. Some something, and this is what I was getting at earlier, Adam, about Jalen Green and Shingun and these younger guys, like you know, and I'm I'm not banking on it that these guys are all of a sudden just going to be all NBA guys next year or anything like that. But as currently constructed as we know this team, the way we know it right now, the answer is no. Those yeah. guys, th this team is not better than all those teams that you just mentioned other than maybe and the Spurs are maybe, you know, the Spurs are, are maybe depending on how things look. And I feel comfortable about the saying that they're better than the Blazers just based off of them getting rid of Lillard. But hell, if Scoot Henderson comes in there all of a sudden and, you know, like who knows him and Jeremy Grant, like I, I have no idea how that's going to look, but those are the only two that I could even make a case for them being better than right now. Yeah. So that, that's the thing. So when we talk about them being better, I think that we would both agree that, yes, they are better, but does that get them into the play-in mix? The answer is probably not. And so then the question becomes, well, organizationally, can they live with that? And uh, oh, that's that's kind of a to-be-determined thing. So I'm, I'm really curious to, to hear them once we get into September and October. Is that like kind of the be-all, end-all to where they have to be in the play-in? Because I think that that's asking an awful lot of this group to go from 22 wins to now, you know, the, the 10th, 10th place was at 42. So are, are they going to jump up by 20 wins next year 
it's hard to it's hard to see it. You know, it's not like they added it's not like it's Cleveland and they added LeBron James. No, this is they added you know some pieces, but I don't know if those pieces are worth twenty wins. So uh, I, I think so much of it. You know, I, I think they've cleaned up the roster. I think that they have risen the floor of the roster. But in order for them to hit some sort of a ceiling, the guy, the, the guys who have been here, the Greens, the Porters, the Smiths, the Shingoons, the Easons, those are the guys that are going to move this team from, you know, they can be in 13th place to getting into that 10th place to getting into that eighth place. So those guys are ultimately the development of those guys. That's going to be the key to this whole thing. And the hope is that the floor has now been risen to where, you know, they might not win all these games, but they'll at least be able to compete in all these games because they will have, you know, they they will, you know, like I said, you got to fill 240 minutes every night. They will fill those minutes with guys who are actually NBA caliber players. Yeah, and to their credit, to Rockets leadership's credit, I think it was M.A. Udoka who made this point, and maybe Rafael Stone did as well, but I remember M.A. Udoka mentioning a couple of times that they wanted to bring in guys that would complement and supplement I don't know if that's those are the exact quotes or the exact words, but basically bringing in guys that would complement what they already had going on. They weren't necessarily looking for, you know, a, a new face of the franchise type of thing. They were they were looking for veterans who had played winning basketball and could come and help them establish a culture. And I think today at the very least did get that. How much better is it going to make them in relation and comparison to their competitors to you know to the rest of the west we're gonna have to see it and i think you and i have both said a different version of it lies in the young core like the the growth and the progression and the maturation of this team is all relying upon how these young players develop how quickly they develop and exactly what that looks like is jalen green the potential all nba player that people think he is like could that happen in year three is that something that you're still waiting for by year four year five like we'll just have to see how long it takes but that's what it's all about it's not it's not like this is a fixer or you know an eraser for all of the things that they were lacking like it, it addresses a lot of needs but and like you said it raises the the floor at the very least but you don't just sign Fred Van Bleet dylan brooks and say okay now we're ready to go boys it's like no you sign those guys and then you look around and you say okay hey we've we've added some leadership and some particular skills as your supporting cast with these guys and we need y'all to take that step y'all being like we mentioned jalen green jabari smith alpern shingun tari east and kevin porter jr's role as a either a six man or whatever it is that they're going to do with him that that's one of the more fascinating sidebars to me. I think the main thing, obviously, is the young players, how they develop that sort of that young core that we talked about, the draft picks, how they sort of mesh in with these veterans that they just brought in. But the sidebar to me is also Kevin Porter Jr. because I agree with the point that you made. This is an opportunity for him to really make good on his contract, I think, like to, to to first of all, get those last couple of years guaranteed, but to also be utilized in a way that better suits him, you know, to, to be utilized in a way that better suits and complements exactly what he could do. And they they signed all these guys with the hope that they would supplement the roster, not take it over. Yeah, right. supplement. So, that's the, that that's the word I was trying to go for that I was whiffing on supplement. There you go, Adam. 
they, they don't want these guys to be the stars. And, and I get that they're paying Van Vliet to essentially be star, but I don't think that ultimately that's what they want his role to be. They want them to help the younger guys. Ultimately, they want the guy who they picked second in the draft two years ago to take the reins. They want the guy who they drafted third uh, overall last year to take the reins. They want the guy who did, who they just drafted fourth overall uh, a couple of weeks ago to take the reins. That's, that's who they want the foundation of the team to be. But Van Vliet, and Brooks and Landell, those are the guys who are going to help. They want to have help round out the rest of the roster, at least for the next couple of years. Yeah. And if they, if they can help those guys play in more competitive games and play in more meaningful basketball games, that I think you can argue, like if they can help make a Jalen Green, help you make the decision on if he's a max player, help make you, uh, sure, uh, more sure of some of these other players. I, I feel like that's worth it as well. Like if they're elevating the players that you do expect to be the players that others would want to pay, like, you know, people look at Fred Van Vliet and say, well, that's not a uh, $130 million player. Well, they hope that Jalen Green is, right? And if Fred Van Vliet can come in there and help him be that, help ensure that he becomes that, that's almost worth it, especially in a year when you had the money to spend. That's another thing that we haven't hit on as we get out of here, Adam, that I feel like is somewhat misunderstood about this process. And maybe we've done a good enough job already hitting on it, but I want to reiterate. It's forest for the trees. It's not seeing the forest for the trees to be like Fred Van Vliet's not worth $43 million. No, man, they had the money to spend, and these were the guys who were available for it to be spent on and they needed to get their team better. So it almost just doesn't really matter that Fred Van Vliet is not what you might consider a $43 million player, a $43 million a year player. It's just the fact that he's one of the best that you could get out there. He feels a need, he helps your team, and you've got the money to spend. And so that's really all that it's about. It's not about like I saw a comment that was like, you pay guys max contract or superstar money to be a superstar. Not necessarily in the NBA, you know, not necessarily like maybe, maybe ideally, but not necessarily. And I think this was a not ideal, but necessary scenario for them. Oh, that's what free agency is. Like free agency is usually just one big overpay. You know, if you want impact players in free agency, you're not going bargain hunting. That's not how this works, especially when they are going to have other suitors. So, um, are, is Fred Van Vliet an overpay at, at you know at forty something million? Whatever what is it? It's uh, three years, one thirty, with the last year being you know a, a team option. Like, is that an overpay? Yeah, it's an overpay, but that's what free agency is, and that's why they hoarded all this cap space was because they knew that they were just going to make a big splash and they weren't worried about the dollar amount. That's just how it is. And you like you said, you ha- like you have to get to a salary floor. Like that's now in the CBA. It used to be in the CBA. You know, you could get to the salary floor by the trade deadline or by by a certain date. Now you have to be there on opening night. And so they had to get there. And, you know, it's it's not like they gave a 35-year-old $40 million for the next couple of years. He's 29. Like, he's he's right within his prime, and he filled a hole that they needed to fill. So it, it works for him. It works, I think, for, for both sides.